You're listening to the Della Darling Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Dara. We're taking Dara's love of telling people's stories, Emily's love of attending events, and our mutual love of the first date, and highlighting the best people to meet, places to go, and things to do that Delaware has to offer. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited today because obviously Dara is here in the studio with me, but we're also joined by a special guest, my friend Jen Ferris, who is a transplant to Delaware. And she's just an interesting person because she is a choir director, she's a history teacher, she's a tap dancer, she's a doctoral candidate, um, she's a pageant queen which I think is sort of unique. I don't know a lot of pageant queens, so um, we're just really excited to talk about all that stuff with her today. Yes, I just met Jen a few minutes ago. Nutmeg and I met Jen, although I think maybe Nutmeg knew Jen before. Um, But I was assured that you would be a perfect, that we had to have you on the podcast, that you'd have so much to talk about and you would be such a great guest. Well, thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here tonight. And so you were telling us that you, um, you live down in Middletown. Yes. So... Emily and I are always kind of like talking about, um, you know, making sure that we're getting some recommendations and like an eye on what's happening across the entire state, even though sometimes we do get stuck in our little Wilmington and Newark bubbles. So um, just to kind of give us like a little glimpse into your life, like what is, um, what did you do this past weekend? And like where, like tell us about your, your like favorite coffee shop to go to. Sure. Um, well, actually I haven't been in Middletown for long. I only moved at the beginning of August. So I live right off of Historic Main Street, actually in a house that was built in 1885. So as a historian, um, it's really exciting for me. Um, This weekend, uh, you know, out and about in Middletown, I haven't really checked out too many places yet. Um, But of course, you know, the Green Turtle's there, which is a Delaware classic. Um, But I've really loved this sushi place called Kiku. Um, Is that the one? Describe where it is, because... I may have been there. It's, you know where the Lowe's and the Walmart and Chipotle is? It is in that area um, where all the new kind of shops and the Aldi is. Yes. So So I'm pretty sure I've been there because a few years ago I was dating a guy who lived in Middletown and he was insistent that it's like the best sushi around. It is. And it is. It was really (laughs) good. And I'm pretty partial up here. I really like Mickey Moto's and Le Show. But I will say it rivals them for sure. Yeah, I've been a Mickey Moto's fan for as long as I've been in Delaware. And sorry, Mickey Moto's, you got a little bit of competition, but love you both. What is like their signature role? Do they have a funny naming like for the role? Like, you know, I'm really Mickey? boring when it comes to sushi. Like I just order the same thing over and over and over. So I would say that anything you get there is amazing. Their Philly roll is fantastic. It's the best Philly roll I've had. In Delaware or in Philly, and for that Philly matter. rolls, the big the big thing about a Philly roll is it has cream cheese. Yes, right. So mm-hmm. we all know Philadelphia brand cream cheese, and they have the little angels in the commercials. And I, don't, <laughs> I don't totally get it, but do they still have the angels in the commercials? I don't think they have very many commercials. Oh, because everyone just knows. Everyone knows, yeah. But obviously, like I remember the branding, so it it worked well, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Emily, you've been up to a lot lately. I have had. Like, probably some of the most packed two weeks one can think of. Um, And very Delaware-centric. I did so many sort of Delaware things. Um, 
So last time we talked, we had the What the Croc coming up, and that was really a great event. Um, we had some great soup, stew, I guess stew swapping, chili swapping. Mm -hmm. um, Gretchen actually made freezer packs, like ready-to-go freezer packs of fajitas, mm -hmm. crockpot fajitas. So I haven't had mine yet, still in my freezer. I had mine. It was really good. But it had also been marinating a really long time. Oh, because you did yours immediately, or like but, a couple days. But it was still like a few days, which is longer. Usually I'm like a hour marinade kind of girl. Um, so. Sometimes I'm like a five minute because that's that's the timing of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you'll enjoy the fajitas that are in your freezer. Oh, I'm so excited. And I had some car. I made some caramel, which I was shocked at how easy that was. I've just kind of been eating the caramel that you made with a spoon every so often. Me too. Where can I get <laughs> some of this caramel? I'll give you some before you leave. Jess. Yes. <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah, so we had a great time at our What the Croc event. And then I followed that up over the next weekend um actually it was all over that weekend with brews and grooves at the queen which is a fun sort of outdoor event they had some local um they had a dj and some local music they had local beers um so that was a fun event and there was actually another street festival also on market street happening at the same time so it was a pretty active day there so i was sort of there that day because i that was like my errands day and i we both just got off of being wedding guests this past weekend. Right. So the weekend before, so we had to get all before. the things done. I went to the seamstress. You went to the seamstress, and I was trying to pick up shoes at... Some people don't know that you can do this, um, but, like, I get all of my shoes, like, rehealed and resold, like... Regularly. Regularly. I'm always impressed by you. Um, I, I buy $20 shoes, so I can't... I sometimes struggle to justify the cobbler cost. I, I love the cobbler. I used to go to Abbott's on Main Street in Newark, but then a couple years ago, um, they closed. And so this past year or so, I've started going to a new, I call them the cobbler, but it's like not really, it's the shoe repairman. Um, shoe tech. No, but you know what? It's much more quaint to call it the cobbler. It is. And they, and the cobbler, he does have this funny sign in his store that says, um, he who does not pay the cobbler has no soul. <laughs> oh, what a pun. Yeah. What a pun. So now I go to shoe tech, um, off of, I think it's, it's right, it's very close to market. I think it's on orange. Um, and I love, I, I, Orange, it's Orange great. is two, I believe two streets back, right? Market, Shipley, Orange? Yes. It's between Market and Orange. Okay. Um, and it's great. I would recommend it. Um, but I couldn't get over there. I was trying to pick up my shoes and I couldn't find any parking because there were so many festivals happening on Market Street. It was crazy. I think I ended up parking four or five blocks back. Um, but I do feel lucky because I sort of know all the little, the secret places mm -hmm. that are public parking or, um, that kind of stuff. So it wasn't too bad, but then, um, I did end up heading down to the Polish festival with our friend Meredith and a couple other friends of ours. And, um, it was exciting because I, I drove my new car. So I have gotten it. Last we talked, we were recording from a Subaru because my car had been totaled and I was in the process of buying a new one. Jen is looking looking shocked. I've been very quiet on social media about the, the car accident. Um, well, I'm glad you're okay. I am okay. <laughs> I am frustrated. That's really the only description for it. I was um, on the way home from a gallery show in Hokesson, and somebody rear-ended me at 10 o'clock on a Friday oh, night. Oh, no. And he has no car insurance. So <gasps> not only was this a huge headache for me, but I also had to pay for it. Oh. Um, and my car was deemed totaled. So I ended up having to buy a new car, which is okay. Life goes on. I, I think I've adjusted quite well, and, and Dara, um, I, I think you'd agree that I probably picked 
the appropriate replacement for me. It's a little red car. This one, I think the most notable difference is that it has four doors instead of two. I have four doors and it's a hatchback. And so my mother has been making the joke um, over and over, which is, which is fine, I guess. And it is kind of funny, but also it gets old quickly because I'm still unmarried, which is fine. By the way, I'm fine with this. But I have a house, a hound, and a hatchback. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it, it is funny the first time you hear it, but like maybe not the 15th. <laughs> It's okay, I have a CRV and I my mom is like, so you gotta have some kids to fill that soccer mom car with. Thanks, mom. Yeah, I have nutmeg. Um, the adjustment to riding in the back seat has been difficult for her. You've sent me some photos where she's kinda like giving you a sassy look. Yeah, she's she's not into the whole riding in the back seat thing. The look she gives me is is saying, Do you think I'm some kind of animal? <laughs> um, <laughs> unfortunately I've told that joke before and I'm still laughing. I know. Well, I haven't told it on the podcast yet. <laughs> So, uh, back to your festivals, what, how, was it necessarily a good thing or a bad thing that there were so many festivals happening on the same day in the same area? Did you feel like, were like, was it the right hand not talking to the left hand? Was it, you know, um, an abundance of choices? I think, so I felt actually, I would have loved if those two festivals had been merged. So, the festival that the Queen put on, um was sort of odd in that you had to buy a ticket, and you had won tickets and gave them to me. Mm -hmm. So I was very appreciative of that. And I don't think they were super expensive tickets. I think they were only 10 or $12 anyway. But once you got there, um, basically the music was free, but you had to pay for tickets to buy beer. Mm -hmm. And you had to buy, and, it, and, and there was food, but it was very, very limited. There was essentially one food stand, and you could get... Um, only a couple of things. Meredith and I had corn dogs because why not? Obviously, um, and so I would say like for it, it, I felt like it should have been a free festival, um, and the one down the block was a free festival, and so it was sort of competing music. Um, down the block was a little more like rap and R and B, and then the Queen Festival was a little more like folk rock mm -hmm. type stuff. So I would have loved to see those be sort of a joint force and and take up all of Market Street together and. Um, so that would have been great, but I did also then go down to the riverfront for the Polish festival mm -hmm. and I've never been to the Polish festival before. So that was new for me and I loved it and I was able to get some sausage and, uh, some pierogies, which were great. It was not a good weekend for, um, clean eating, I would say. Do you know that I'm Polish? Are you? Okay. See, I was wondering because this past, um, New Year's, I spent it like just with my boyfriend and I was away from my, fa my family and like I wanted to kind of make the food that I like but also the food that I have every New Year's which is I always have pork and I always have apples and sauerkraut and <laughs> my mother would love that so I made this meal for New Year's and like no like my boyfriend's family was like why were you like what and then he was just like well she's Polish and they were like oh now how Polish are you my like my mom last name is Karbowski. Oh, I guess I did know this. You knew that, yeah. I, so, I, I'm, like, notoriously bad at recognizing people's heritage from their last names. Well, it's, like, it's, like, Polish, but it's also just, like, miscellaneous Eastern European. Gosh, I still feel like I've just had so much else going on. Um, I did run over to Wilmington Brew Works for a drink one night and saw they're actually going to start doing yoga classes. So, $15, you do a yoga class, and then you get a free beer or free, right? Included beer or cider. Sign me up, though. 
for 15, yoga I mean, and a drink. $15 for just a drop-in yoga class is a really great price, let alone getting a drink afterward. Also, the Wilmington Brew Works is pretty good. I had it, like, at the, um, uh, oh, my gosh, was it the, the park that's up off, like, near Marsh Road? They have the summer concert series. Bellevue. Oh, Bellevue. Bellevue. Yes. There it is. So they, I went to the summer concert series a few times, and they would have a beer garden in the back with Wilmington Brew Works. Um, and I was impressed with everything they had. They had a lager and a stout, and highly recommend both. Yeah, their beer is great. It's a team of five guys who are really passionate about bringing the like the beer culture locally. And and um, I'll tell you, I've been there a couple of times now, and I've I've met all five of them. They're really nice guys, and we had some really good conversations. But the last time I was there, like they are really they're working. They're the ones clearing the tables. They're the ones at the taps. I mean, it's definitely like an owner run. Like they're very involved. And I, I just so appreciate that because I feel like they're still very tuned into their audience and, and mm -hmm. what is needed. Um, and so I feel like that customer service is just only going to continue getting better and better. And you just, it was actually on September 30th, it was International Podcasting Day. And you sort of gave Wellington Brew Works a little shout out on our Instagram. I did. So for those of you who didn't see, um, maybe we'll do a repost at some point, but we highlighted some of our favorite podcasts about Delaware or from Delawareans. So we had a couple, um, and, and actually just one that had an, an episode about Delaware. So there was a true crime podcast that has an episode sort of set in Delaware. And so we highlighted that. Um, small town murder, and then we had a number of podcasts that were Delawarean hosted, um, including the um, movie Cigars and a Brew, movies, brews, and a cigar. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. I think it's movies, cig movies, cigar, and a cigars and a brew, um, and that's actually hosted by one of the owners of Wilmington. And he's just such a nice guy, and we were so excited to be able to sort of give a shout-out to some of our favorite Delawareans who are, um, you know, sort of partners with us in the podcasting world. So speaking of random holidays, I'm a little jealous because on International Taco Day, you made it to one of my new re favorite restaurants, which I actually haven't been to in maybe a couple months. Yeah, I actually, um, El Toro did a great job on their social media that day, and I saw the tacos, and I saw it was International Taco Day, and I spent all day really wanting tacos, and so I just decided to head out to the bar, have a margarita, have some tacos, and celebrate, um, and I'm really glad I did because I ended up sitting next to Rick Hidalgo, who's the owner of RH Gallery in Hokessin, and so he's someone I had sort of connected with very briefly a few weeks ago at a gallery show, the opening of Ala Prima. Um, but we, it was such a brief interaction. Of course, he's the owner and it's a whole, sh it's a big show going on. He's got a ton of artists. And so we didn't really get to chat. And so it was great because we actually were able to chat a lot and sort of um, make a really good connection. And, and he's been a great source for sort of some future guests for the podcast and some future events. So I'm really looking forward to that. But back to the tacos, <laughs> I had the chorizo tacos oh. and they were so good. And the other thing I have to say about when you go out to a Mexican restaurant for tacos by yourself is that when they bring the salsa and the chips, you get to eat the whole basket and you don't have to share. So by the way, if you're looking for great tacos in the Newark, Wilmington area, check out Two Stones. Um, I've been to the location in Newark and they do a Taco Tuesday, which is always themed. 
So the last time I was there, they did a Parks and Rec theme. And so they had a Leslie Nope taco, which isn't, mm-hmm. like, a traditional taco because it was obviously, like, a waffle with, like, Nutella and, like, sprinkles and whipped cream in it. But, yeah. <laughs> that sounds so good. And, you know, tacos are so trendy. It's, like, every food truck, every restaurant has, like, tacos. And so sometimes I'm, like, ugh, I'm just – sometimes I'm over it. Like, <laughs> I just – it's too much. Everything does not have to be in a tortilla. But you know what? That sounds really good, and it sounds like it's something different and fun, and we just love when local restaurants sort of play into themes and really lean into something new and different. They had a Ron Swanson taco that was like brisket and mashed potatoes. So As it like, should be. Exactly. That's so great. That is not the theme I was going to expect. No, he loves brisket, mashed potatoes, bacon. He's really into bacon. I was surprised that bacon wasn't on the taco from what I remember, but... Now, I got to make it the Delaware connection here. So, obviously, you know, Aubrey Plaza was on Parks and Rec. She's from Delaware. She went to Ursuline. Um, She's also the most famous person in Delaware, per the News Journal poll from uh, about a year ago, I would say. Not Joe Biden. That's... I know she she yeah. edged out Joe Biden. She, wow. She she tweeted about this. I think people weren't really thinking Joe Biden. Like they were thinking like the the Hollywood fame, not political fame. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes sense. But did they have any Aubrey Plaza themed? They had one. I didn't get it. You didn't I get don't it. remember what was on it because you could only choose like. For the price they had, you choose three. And it was a really, really hard choice between the Ron Swanson and the Aubrey Plaza. And I just had to go with the brisket. I I understand. understand. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, brisket, when you can get a really good brisket anywhere in any form, you got to go for it. You got to go for it. Indeed. I'm glad to hear, Emily, that you had a little bit of time to treat yourself to tacos because you had a crazy weekend. Yeah, so following up International Taco Day... Friday night, um, so so Dara mentioned we both had weddings this weekend. So Dara was up in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, her boyfriend's cousin was getting married, so Dara did the um, lovely wedding guest thing, and I'm sure she was probably everyone's everyone's favorite guest. But I actually was at a wedding here in Delaware, and I was a groomsmaid. It was a gay wedding, so all of the attendants were groomsmen or groomsmaids. Um, and it was great. We had a great time. The wedding was in Greenville. Um, our bouquets were done by Jansen's. Catering was by Jansen's. And then the reception was actually at the Old Town Hall on Market Street, which is part of the Delaware Historical I Society. That was beautiful. Yeah, so it was great. They actually had cocktail hour was down downstairs in the town hall. And then they used a room on top of the museum, um, a large event space to do dinner. And then we were back downstairs for dancing and they had cake in an upstairs um, sort of gathering space in the town hall. So it was a really great event and I I loved like feeling so local and and really a part of Delaware. And it definitely um, felt like you couldn't be in a venue anywhere. You really were in Wilmington. And then they followed up with an after party at the Merchant Bar. And it was funny because a wedding at the Queen let out at about the same time. And so you had two wedding wedding groups at the merchant bar at the same time and so that was really fun and my mother I talked to her yesterday and she commented to me on how traditional the wedding at the queen was and I said what do you mean traditional and she said what was a bride and a groom Emily (laughs) and I thought oh like I I don't know what I thought she meant because they had a full episcopal mass I mean they did all of like it was a for you know it was a gay wedding but other than that it was very traditional and so I didn't know what she meant but but I guess yes it would be more traditional if there were a bride in a white gown, and there was. 
So that was, that was really fun. But I got home really late from the wedding on Saturday night and had to do sort of a quick turnaround and head down to Dover on Sunday for race weekend. So the Monster Mile had one of their two big race weekends this this weekend and so it was so nice we actually were invited um, by their marketing group so that we could sort of experience what it's like to go to NASCAR in Delaware and sort of let you guys know um, what that experience was like. Did you go into it with any expectations? My expectations were two things and I think you'll understand why I was really excited to be going because you know me so well Dara but one is that I always have believed that drinking the only thing better than drinking indoors is drinking outdoors. And I felt like that would be met. Like we're definitely going to be drinking outdoors and that's great. Um, and then the other is that I love when you go to something and everybody there is really passionate. So whether that be a sporting event or a concert, right? Like if you go to Taylor Swift or you go to an Eagles game, like the people there are all really passionate about that event and about that experience. And so it's infectious to be in an environment like that. And I felt like NASCAR would be the same way. And I, I felt like that was really true. I mean, everybody there was so passionate. And it was interesting because I found, um, actually, and I will say this, very few Delawareans. There weren't a lot of people um, that I talked to or in the parking lot that were from Delaware. Where were they from? Um, we had a lot of people from New York, um, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut. Like seriously, people are coming from the whole west or the whole east coast. There were people from Canada. Were they like in RVs? There were people in RVs, but there were also just people who like had come down in cars and were staying at ho hotels. Okay. Um, and so I mean, people really like feel passionately. And honestly, you know, there's not a lot of NASCAR tracks in the country. Mm -hmm. It's not as if every state has one, every city has one. Um, I, I don't want to say a number, but I feel like they're less common than MLB stadiums. Um, and especially on the East Coast, like we are in sort of like a haven of sports on the East Coast because we've got that whole Boswash corridor where there's multiple teams in every city the whole way down. And that's just not true with NASCAR. So people really come from all over for these two weekends a year. Um, and the one yesterday is actually part of the postseason racing. So people are really trying to like secure their spots for the final, like the big final race in NASCAR for the season. So it's, it's exciting and it was exciting to be down in the pit. So before they started, I actually got to be down and seeing the crews getting ready and the drivers getting ready and like gassing up and organizing their tires and making sure the cars were in tip top shape. And, um, it was great. And I, I was watching at one point and a couple of the pit crew guys were down there stretching and I mean like stretching each other out downward dog like various yoga poses but honestly as soon as the race starts right and then I think most of the the drivers were coming in around lap 60 so about 60 miles in um were coming into the pit to do their like tire changes gassing up all, all that kind of stuff but seriously they pull in and in under 20 seconds the pit crew has like got all their tires off all new tires on yeah they're moving they've gassed up like it is a physically demanding job i mean you gotta stretch out like a pro mm -hmm. you're you're really you're you're competing at a pro level and so it was just so great to see people who are really passionate and there were a lot of women on the pit crews really i have to say i probably saw five or six women on pit crews 
Um, and I wasn't looking, right? Like I wasn't trying to count them or make sure they were there. And so I was really impressed by how many women were involved in pit crews, involved in the NASCAR scene at all. It was great. So would you go again? I would definitely go again. Um, in addition to obviously the race, right? I think you commented on how long of a day I was there Mm -hmm. because the race didn't start until two, but I actually got down to Dover at about eight 15. Um, and we, we picked up our passes and we headed down into the pits and we did all kinds of stuff down there. Then we headed outside of the monster mile track and the stadium and they had, um, you could go zip lining. They had a concert. I mean, there was like a country, like a local country singer was like doing a concert on like a grandstand stage. Wow. They had bars. They had food. They had like a ton of vendors. They had all of these um, cars you could like get in and sort of sort of do photo ops this and that kind like of a thing. Festival. It, I mean, it was. It seriously is a huge festival. It's a huge event. You actually can even buy passes to to drive the pace car in the morning so while all the cars are getting ready like you can get on and drive the track like it was honestly just such a cool event and it was so interesting seeing and meeting all of the people who you know do this every single year they come for both races in Mm -hmm. dover every year the may race the october race and people who just feel really passionately and and want to participate in that nascar Mm -hmm. community so if you were to go again and like just go as um like as an observer not with special passes or anything like how would you put your day together? Like, how many people would you take with you? Like, what would you need to get together beforehand? Like, what do you wear? What time do you get? Like, take us through yeah. like, your plans. So, if I were if I were to go without um, having sort of like the behind the scenes pass, I would definitely um, still want to get there early because the traffic to get in does get crazy. We were getting there about eight fifteen, and I mean, we were waiting and waiting and. And it really is, it's a lot of people. A lot of people, anytime there's an event like that, everybody's trying to get to the same place at the same time. So I still recommend getting there kind of early. I think we did it right. We got there about 8.15. We went into the casino to get coffee. Um, so there is a coffee bar there. And you can always run into the casino um, during the day too. So if you're ever looking for more food or anything like that, that's always an option. Um, and so I was glad to get my coffee. And then we were able to head down, check out the pits, like I said, that's sort of an added an added cost for the average attendee. Um, but I do recommend, like, if you ever get the chance to do it, you should because it's really it's like going to an Eagles game, but you get to be down in the locker room. Like, not even you get to see them warming up. You, I mean, you're in it. You're with them every step of the way. Um, so I think if you ever have the chance, you should definitely take advantage of that. But other than that, I think, you know, you have a good time. Like I said, there are concerts going on. A lot of the different um, sponsors of the teams and stuff like that, they actually do giveaways or they'll sponsor different events. So they had one of the drivers, uh, Kenseth, um, he is a really nice guy, and he actually was doing autographs. So they had like 45 minutes where he was just sitting, chatting with people, doing autographs. So, like, you can really take advantage of sort of, like, Q&As with the drivers, autographs with the drivers, photo ops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and that's not something that you get at every sort of major sporting event like that. And the other thing I, I found so fascinating is that there are no other NASCAR races going on that day. It's mm-hmm. just the 400-miler mm-hmm. at Dover Downs. Whereas any time, like, Sunday football, mm-hmm. everybody is playing football. Yeah. I mean, there's so many games, you're flipping between them, and that's not the case. Like, every single person at all invested in NASCAR is watching the Monster Mile the day of the race. 
So it's just a different experience where, like, the entire sport fandom is focused on one event Mm -hmm. at the same time. That's really neat. So that sounds like it was a very full weekend, and we were talking um, just before we started recording that you actually don't have a lot on your plate for this coming weekend, Um, but for our listeners, there is an important date coming up on the calendar. Yeah, so Saturday is actually the last day to register to vote in the state of Delaware in order to vote in this year's um, elections on November 6th. So just a reminder, you know, we always love when people are active, educated members of their community who really want to participate. And so, you know, the best way to do that is to really participate in your elections and make sure you're reading up on all of your options and voting for people who align with your values and are are looking to do the things in your community that you're looking for, both at the national level, but also the local level from your state all the way down to, you know, the city of Wilmington representatives or your community reps. So just a reminder, um, you can go to ivote.de.gov to check your voter registration and make sure it's current and up to date and you have your polling place, but also to register to vote as a new voter. So speaking of kind of getting yourself together as a Delawarean, Jen, you recently moved to Delaware. Actually, I've been a Delaware resident since 2015. Okay. Um, So, friends, if you recently moved like I did, make sure your voter registration is up to date because your polling place will change. Because mine did. Yeah, so Jen, you've been in Middletown just a short time, but you had been living in Newark for years, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell us about sort of how you ended up in Newark and and, um, sort of your journey through your time there. Sure. So I uh, came to UD. Uh, for my undergrad in 2009, um, you know, fell in love with the university and with Delaware and was fortunate enough to be able to stay to do my master's full time for another two years. And then as I was wrapping up my master's, I was hired as a social studies and music teacher at First State Military Academy, uh, which is in Clayton. So I have been in Delaware for almost a decade now and I, I absolutely love it. Um, and I am, you know, looking forward to many, many more years here. Yeah. So tell us your degrees, right? Your undergrad is education. Uh, yeah. History, education, and music. And music. And then your master's is education. Actually, it's just history. Just history. And then you're now working on a doctorate. Yes. So tell me about that. So I am right now doing my, uh, doctorate in, uh, curriculum and instruction, And I'm doing that through the University of South Carolina. Uh, So it's an online program, which is nice for being a, it offers me some degree of flexibility. Uh, So it's it's definitely a lot to be juggling teaching plus being back in grad school. But uh, I think so far so good. (laughs) Well, and you're really active with a lot of things. So obviously, you know, you're a history teacher, Mm -hmm. right? You teach AP U.S. history and U.S. history. Uh, AP U.S. history, world history, and those are the... Those are the two history things I teach right now. They're your history. And Mm -hmm. then you also are the choir director. Yes. So tell us about what that's like to be sort of like pulling double duty, two totally different departments, different... just, Just differences. It's a dream come true. So when I started at the University of Delaware, I was a music education major and I had a minor in history and, you know, I was kind of stuck, like, which route do I want to go? And ultimately I decided that, uh, for numerous reasons that I saw my future as 
a history teacher. And it was kind of bittersweet because I was giving up a dream in a way to pursue another. And so I kept a degree in music because I, you know, liked being ridiculously busy, I guess. I did every winter session. I did, um, you know, I carried an 18 credit uh, course load every semester at UD. Um, so to do this ridiculous combination of majors, just because I thought it was fun. Um, no, and I, I think Darren and I can both understand that. We're both pretty busy. Yeah, you Obviously, are. Like, we have full-time jobs. We both actually have side jobs that pay. We have the podcast. And I think outside of the podcast, um, and everyone knows this, we both have a lot going on yeah. with, with our friendships, with events that we attend, things like that. So we totally understand the craziness of yeah. having a packed schedule. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, actually, um, I never imagined that I would be able to teach both social studies and music. Um, I, yeah, I think the dichotomy there is so different and it's, it's, um, a unique position that you're in. Well, Unless I, you're teaching Hamilton. Yeah. I get to teach Hamilton. Oh, okay. Next week, I use <laughs> Hamilton to teach part of, um, my 1754 to 1800 unit because who wants to talk about the national bank right like the debate over the national bank is so cut and dry that well now so you know what so i have to tell you dara can attest to this that before the musical ever came out alexander hamilton is my favorite founding father and i realize that most people don't have a favorite founding father but i do and it's alexander hamilton the father of the treasury and i just feel very passionately about that See, honestly, like, I, maybe this is, like, a cardinal sin of being a history major, um, but that, like, that era, that era was never my favorite. I'm a 20th century social historian, um, but anyway, but Hamilton was a game changer for me, and it's a game changer for my A-Push kids. Um, if you're listening in A-Push kids, uh, don't forget about your DBQ that's due at the end of the week. Um, so, um, but anyway, actually when I was hired at First State, or when I was in my interview rather, um, the reason that they called me in was because of my music background. Really? Uh, so, so I just want to clarify, so First State Military Academy, it's, it's a fairly new school. Only four years old. Right, so was your, your first year there, was their first year? Yes. Right, so, so in doing that, right, they have a very small student body, and mm-hmm. so they're looking for people who can, who can double dip. Right. Um, our student body right now is just around 400. Um, that's so big. It so is, that's about 100 per class. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, we just graduated our first senior class uh, just in May, or sorry, in June. Um, it was only around 30, 40 kids. Um, and now we have our first full senior class, if you will. So it's really incredible to see the growth from 2015 to now. Um, even like our sports teams have gone, uh, you know, just that the growth is just absolutely amazing. Um, in my choral program, even we started. Yeah. So tell me about that because I think, I mean, you built it. Yeah. From the ground up. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, I look around. I was like, wow, I can't believe that I'm, I'm doing this, and I have the, I have the uh, privilege to do this. We started with nine students. Um, my group this year is forty-three. You have 43 singers. Yes. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I have to say, right, so we're, we're Facebook friends, mm-hmm. and you post some of, the, some of the best statuses. 
because you're constantly, um, and actually you, you have titled it, and I, I hope that one day you publish maybe some sort of like ebook. Um, <laughs> but it's weird things my students say, and you have volumes, right? So yes. I think it's every every school year is a new volume. Yes. And you, you sort of have them like, it's like they're indexed, right? Yes. And I don't know if you have an organization system outside of Facebook for those, but some of them are, are just so great. So give us a couple of your favorite weird things my students say. The first, the one that started it all, was um, one of my students in uh, a study hall comes up to me and says, Miss Ferris, may I borrow your scissors? It's like, sure, no problem. She's like, well, do you mind if I cut my hair? <laughs> and I didn't put two and two together initially, and I was like, I don't, I could care less. It's your hair. Whatever you want to do to it, it's your, that's your prerogative, girl. And so she's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, right now, over your trash can. It's like, oh, sweetie. I don't think that's a great idea. I had one student this week tell me that she was concerned that I wasn't getting enough sleep or water because I've been breaking out a lot. Um, I had a student also tell me just out of nowhere, they're doing some activity. He raises his hand and goes, you know, Ms. Ferris, my parents told me that I could be anything I want to be. So I want to be chicken nugget. These are high school students. Yes. My, so, I have like, so, like, when you're, you know, you're like, oh, preschool, that's such a cute answer, but you're... 16. Yeah. You're going to be driving a car, and that terrifies me. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other thing you had posted this year on Facebook was that you now have, like, the majority of your students were born after 9-11. Yes. So, sorry, I sort of abruptly went to a, a sort of a downer topic, mm -hmm. but, but what is that like to be interacting so regularly with people who, and I don't know, but I think, um, you know, anytime I talk to anyone who's enough younger than me that they don't, they don't remember the moment that they found out or the day, right? I remember everything about that day. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably true, Dara, for you and, and, and Jen. But, yeah. But, like, what is it like to interact with people who... To them, it's kind of the same as talking about, like, Pearl Harbor or anything else. You know, it really is. Uh, because, actually, um, like I mentioned, I teach AP US as well, and it's covered on the AP exam now, which blows my mind. But Because we, we feel like it's, like, modern, so modern right. history. Yeah. And it's really not. But uh, every 9-11, actually, um, I start my school year by doing a historical skills, like, like we call it thinking like a historian, and it always coincides with 9-11, so we kind of use that history as a launching off point because it's something that the kids are familiar with, it's something that they're interested in, um, that really gets them to start using skills of corroboration and contextualization and, you know, um, digging into sources. So they're very um, enraptured by my story. And I've never had that before, this particular group of students that, you know, didn't kind of live it on like it, like it wasn't in their own um they know, didn't they didn't have their own experience exactly so they uh, they specifically asked me to talk about where i was and what i experienced on that day and um you know i really had them in the palm of my hand when i'm telling them about i'm a fifth grader and it's my fifth grade school picture day and you know i am looking into the camera and smiling at the almost exact moment that the second tower was hit and that, you know, 10-year-old Jen had the foresight not to get retakes um, because they were bad. Um, knowing that, I, like I told my parents, this is a historic day and I feel some kind of way about getting rid of that. But th I digress. But having students that that is just history to them and not a lived reality is 
kind of interesting because they really are invested in the personal experiences of people that they know, like their parents and their teachers, um, because it's living history to them. Yeah, I think um, it, it's it's so interesting when you think about like getting that unique perspective, right? And and we of course grew up where we had you know our grandparents were involved in Vietnam or Korean wars, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and so it's almost like. Obviously, you and I were not involved, and Dara were not involved in um, any, you know, Iraq or Afghanistan, any any of the stuff that has sort of come of the whole war on terrorism and that kind of thing. But it's definitely a very different perspective to have lived through it and and sort of seen what the impact is like to our everyday lives and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about um, your students being so invested in in history and, like, the the history of the people that they know. Um, I was... You'd mentioned a little bit before we started that you do touch on some Delaware history. Yes. Um, and I was wondering, I think, like, one of the jokes that we, that Emily and I talk about is, like, that, like, fourth grade is the grade where you learn, like, all of your Delaware history. Yes. And I don't know, Dara, if you had the same book that I had, but it's sort of the rust-colored, maybe they don't use the same I can't one anymore, remember. but it was, like, a rust-colored book, and um, I actually read it again when I was in high school. <laughs> Um, because my dad had it, because my dad taught fourth grade his first year teaching, so he had the Delaware history book. Um, and it was, you know, really interesting to look back and sort of get all that Delaware history again, and reminded me of a lot of the really great sort of Delaware stories in our, like, folklore and history. So, but you're coming at it from, like, a, a high school perspective, like, what, um, what are some of the histories that come up in your class or that like getting to know Delaware now um, more as like an adult and professional living here, like what, um, what are some of the stories that fascinate you? So really I touch on it in the context of, um, you know, colonial and the uh, history in the early Republic. Um, So we talk about how some of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were um, you know, not only Delawareans, but University of Delaware alumni, since I am myself a UD alum, and I'm very proud to be a Blue Hen. Um, we talk about how, you know, Delaware was the first state, and what does that mean? Um, what does, um, you know, people like Caesar Rodney, what are their uh, contributions to uh, the Declaration of Independence and the early republic? Um, so, unfortunately, we don't get to talk, talk about it a whole lot, because I have to cover in my class um, nearly 300 years of history between like end of August to like spring break. Um, yeah, it's, it, it goes I, fast. I always forget how yeah. AP season really is over mm-hmm. like before April. I mean, the exams are the first week of May. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like May 10th, I believe, this year. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that Emily knew it would be this easy to start talking about Caesar Rodney, who I think is her like real. This is, you guys, I love Joe Biden. I just love him. I call him JB. I, I behave as if we are friends. I'll, I'll say things like, you know, JB the other day said, and, <laughs> and people are like, Emily, he didn't say it to you. You're not his friend. You don't know him. Uh, and, but you know what? I feel like I do, which is the beauty of politics and just, just everything in Delaware. I mean, he's Uncle Joe. He really is. Um, and, and I think we've had so many, uh, great experiences with, with the way he has, like, permeated pop culture at this point. Um, but he's just great. But Dara's right. I am so excited that we have just led right into Caesar Rodney, who is one of the signers from Delaware. And he's, it's just my thing, my favorite. So, 
you know, everybody talks about the midnight ride and Paul Revere, right? He rides and he says, the British are coming, the British are coming. But what everyone does not know is that Caesar Rodney, he's the real deal when it comes to the midnight ride. He, in 1787, was very excited. Um, he rode from Newcastle, where he lived. I believe he was Newcastle, but I could be totally wrong. No, I wrong. he was farther south. He was farther south. Let's, let, let me double check on this. Um, but for those who don't know, right, we, Delaware Day is December 7th. It is a notorious day in Delaware history, and it is the day that we celebrate the signing of the Constitution. Um, and so Caesar Rodney, on the eve of December 7th, he actually rode from his home to Philadelphia to sign the Constitution and make Delaware the first state. And again, Dara, you've heard me say this joke, so I'm sorry, but I have to say it on the podcast. And for an entire week, we were the United States of America. We we're the only ones. <laughs> I know. See, Jen hasn't heard me say it, but she still thinks it's funny. No, I'm going to say that in my April class. <laughs> and Jen will say it for the next 30 years. I, yes, I will. <laughs> so it's one of my favorites. I, I started it, um, I was in college in Pennsylvania, and so anytime I would meet an international student... They sort of didn't really know where Delaware was or what it was. And so I would explain, you know, Pennsylvania is sort of a rectangle, but we have that little arc in the corner that's cut out. Delaware's the arc. Mm-hmm. There's more of it than just that, but that's Delaware. And they'd say, oh, okay. And I'd say, but it's, it's notorious because it, is the, it was the United States of America. And the international students would sort of pretend like that was funny, even though they and I both knew that it really wasn't. I think it's hilarious. But, you know, it's like, it's, it's good history. It's I a like great it. history joke. Um, and so it's just so great. So uh, Caesar Rodney was actually the third delegate. The other two are George Reed, who everybody is sort of familiar with, the George Reed House in Newcastle, one of my favorite historic homes to visit. I love the garden. Um, they actually do weddings there, so you can, you can have your wedding at the George Reed House and feel very historic um, in Old Newcastle, which is a very colonial town. It still feels, um, you know, you could, you could be back in 1787 at any moment. Um, and then Thomas McCain, also famous in Newcastle County, he has a high school, um, everybody knows about him, but Caesar Rodney was actually the third of the Delaware delegates, and McCain actually had basically called to him and said, you know, I, I really think you're needed here, I'm here at the Continental Congress, this is a big deal, man, you gotta get here, so it's sort of the modern day equivalent of the 911 text with a little red alert light that I sometimes send to people when I want to get out of a bad date. But in this case, like, they weren't getting Caesar Rodney out of a bad date. They were, they were saying, like, dude, dude, you got to come sign. You want to be part of this. Yeah, like, you need to be part of this momentous occasion so that you can be immortalized in Delaware history. And Rodney rode his horse through the night, the 70 miles from his home to Philadelphia, which now you're like, oh, 70 miles or an hour. We'll be there in an hour. Sounds good. I'll take 95. But that wasn't the case. So it was really a much more treacherous event. There was a huge thunderstorm. Um, and the other thing was that he, um, and I just love the imagery of this, but Caesar Rodney had facial cancer. So he had really bad skin cancer and a lot of like, like sores and, and such on his face. Um, and so he actually wore a veil to hide his grotesque disfigurements. Although I'm sure he probably looked fine, but you know, I understand. So he wore a veil and so you can sort of always picture him on his horse in the thunderstorm with the veil riding through the night to Philadelphia for the purpose of signing the Constitution and making Delaware the first state, which of course is our is one of our state mottos. Um, 
which I learned today was actually proposed by a, I believe, first grade class back in 2002 to make it an official state motto. It was not official before then. So, you know, you can always have an influence on your, on local history and, and that kind of thing. But what I really love about the legend of Caesar Rodney, right, that's all historic fact. We know all of these things. But what's really fun is that now, right, this is a very Delaware thing. You take your nylons, right, produced by the DuPont company, mm-hmm. so very Delaware, and you hang them on your fireplace the same way you would hang a stocking at Christmas. But if you do that on the eve of December 7th, then the next morning, Caesar Rodney will have come and filled it with gifts. I have never heard that before. Christine Gregg told me that. Christine Gregg told me that. (laughs) Okay, but I have to tell you, I think it's like Santa Claus where, like, if you don't have parents, it doesn't happen. Oh, well then. Like, if your parents don't live with you, it doesn't happen. Are you going to try this? Is Nutmeg going to fill your nylons? You know, Nutmeg is not a very good gift giver. (laughs) She's a very good gift receiver. Maybe you can hang Nutmeg's nylons. We'll, we'll have to hang some nylons and see if it gets filled with dog biscuits for nutmeg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my goodness. So you were, we were talking about Delaware history, and now, of course, it's October. Um, so we were kind of thinking about, like, some spooky stories and legends of Delaware. And I did Google legends and Delaware, and I discovered that there is a restaurant at Delaware Park called Legends. There is. I actually have been there when I turned 21. It was a very exciting time in my life, and so we went there for lunch. (laughs) I definitely recommend it. But then also talking about Delaware history and real legends, I discovered that the, the, um, the state and the governor's mansion is fairly upfront about, uh, the legends of, uh, Woodlawn. Yeah, the Woodlawn, the Woodlawn ghost, right? Is it Woodlawn? I think, yes, it's Woodlawn. Um, so I was really interested in that, especially because, you know, John Carney lives about four blocks from me. Shut up. Yeah, he lives here in the city of Wilmington. For those who want the real insider scoop, he goes to the same dog park that Nutmeg and I go to, and he picks up his own dog's poop. He doesn't have anybody to do that for him, so that's how you know you're in Delaware. The governor picks up his own dog's poop. Respect. Yeah. You know, he's really, he's really a part of the community, <laughs> and uh, he makes sure that, that that trash bin in the 18th Street dog park is cleared out, and we always have fresh dog bags in the post. So it's not, I was wrong, it's Woodburn. Woodburn, yes. the governor's Woodlawn mansion. Woodlawn is very, a Wilmington, um, Woodburn is, the, is their Dover. Yes, but the first, and this is according to woodburn.delaware.gov, the first documented Woodburn ghost appeared around 1815. Um, about 25 years after the house was built, and um, it, it came to be that uh, they, someone thought that there was a guest in the house, and then the other person said, no, we're the only people here. <gasps> oh, I can just see, like, the, the movie version of this on Lifetime. And I, I, guess, I guess it's a friendly ghost, because, and I think this is something that we can all appreciate and might have hope that would happen to us in the afterlife, is that... Um, they leave wine out that uh, Governor Tribbett's wife, Jan, would regularly check the stairway for the presence and even left wine out for him a number of times, sadly, with no results. So the ghost is a him. I feel it's, like... If, the ghost if, has if, a if name. If the ghost is a wine drinker, I feel like it might be a lady friend. It's, it's Mr. Hilliard. Mr. Hilliard. But apparently he didn't drink the wine. He didn't drink the wine. Yes. Well, maybe they're not leaving. Maybe they need to leave some dogfish head. The quote mm. from Governor Tribbett's wife is, I made sure that I didn't tell my husband I was doing this, leaving the wine, or he would have drank the wine just to tease me. 
Oh, I can understand because I would do that too. Results are inconclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also speaking of ghosts, in my research, I texted this to you, Emily. I, I did get a chuckle out of this and it does relate to something that you were just talking about. Um, the there was a Reddit uh, thread about urban legends in Delaware question mark. Uh, you guys, oh, just a pause. We love Reddit. We are actually on Reddit. We're we're uh, I believe it's the Della Darling or just Della Darling. Um, and we try to be active in both the Wilmington Reddit group, the Newark Reddit group, and the Delaware Reddit group. Mm -hmm. And it's really helpful. So if you ever are posting there, um, we actually do see a lot of the posts and comments that that come through. Yeah. So this was as recent as this past April. Um, someone on Reddit asked, been reading Weird Pennsylvania and was curious as to whether Delaware had any weird or creepy stories, places, things one could check out. And of course, Delaware always has a story for everything. And um, someone named Professor Retro. I don't think that's his real name. Professor Retro. Professor Retro. Um, so Valid kindly source. supplied us with, rumor has it that if you stand in a dark room with a lit candle and whisper, Diamond Joe, three times, Biden appears behind you. Now, for research purposes, of course, I have tried this. <laughs> it did not work. It did not work. So that's definitely an old wives' tale. Well, that's too bad. I know. But you know what's not an old wives' tale is the legends of the Wedge. I don't know if I'm equipped to properly talk about the okay. Wedge. Okay. So everybody knows the Mason-Dixon line, right? We always talk, are you north of Mason-Dixon? Are you south of Mason-Dixon, right? And it's that border between Maryland and Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize is that Delaware was the real the real purpose of the Mason-Dixon line. So um, there was a big dispute over Maryland um, and Delaware. So the Calvert family, Cecil Calvert, Cecil County for those of you. And Calvert County. And Calvert County, right? Like he is just pervasive. And then William Penn, of course. And so back in the 1600s, William Penn was basically the owner or director. I don't really quite know what the role would be because I think people still owned their own properties, but he, he was the leader of Pennsylvania. Um, and Delaware was, as, as Jen knows, right? It was the three lower counties on the Delaware. Mm -hmm. um, this is and I like to think like we're sassy, like we don't want to be part of Pennsylvania, like we were always our own thing. And so the problem became that Cecil Calvert believed that Delaware should belong to him. And there were a number of reasons for this, right? Like certain royals had promised certain things. And, um, you know, actually we're recording this on Columbus Day. So I feel like this is very timely to say this. That like, in what world do any of the European royals have the ability to promise any land to anyone in the U.S.? Or at that point, um, just the undiscovered Americas. But neither here nor there. Fine. So there became this big dispute between William Penn and Cecil Calvert um, about who basically had claim to Delaware. And Jen, I'm sure you know how that dispute ended. Yep, we had an extra credit question on this on my most recent reading quiz on oh. AP West class. Give, give, us, give us the dish. So, well, I, well, I'm talking about like Delaware independence. So yes. when Delaware declared independence right before um, the, uh, you know, after the United States uh, started that we were like going to, officially separate from Britain. But in terms of the dispute between Maryland and uh, Pennsylvania, actually I'm not as familiar with. Yeah, so basically what happened is Cecil Calvert thinks he should get everything. And William Penn is like, no, 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 that's my <laughs> shit. Like, I own Delaware, it's mine, you can't have it. And so it all had to do with how the charters were. And so Cecil Calvert's charter was that he had all land on the peninsula west of what had been 
or, or something, right, that had not been settled. And so what's interesting there is there actually had been a very small whaling community called Zwanendale. Mm -hmm. um, and so because that had been settled and they had historical documentation showing that, Cecil Calvert no longer got everything east and he got everything west of that, I believe is the, is the deal. Took the L, Cecil. Yeah. And so because of that, right, then, then there was sort of the dispute of exactly where does Maryland end and Pennsylvania slash the lower counties of Delaware start. Um, and so eventually it got to the point where they had to bring in Mason-Dixon to actually help determine this. And so the Mason, there's the Mason-Dixon line, but there's also the 12-mile arc. And so I've always made the joke that everybody in Delaware lives within 12 miles of each other mm -hmm. because that's the radius of the Delaware arc. And that's not really true, right? So you have people who live farther than that. Like um, me. Yeah, Jen's, Jen's <laughs> down below the canal now. Um, but you also just have the fact that, right, the diameter of the arc is, is now is 24 miles. So if you're all the way up um, at the top, the tippy-top corner, um, more in the Claymont area, down toward Newark Bay area, it's farther. But everybody lives very, very close, um, or, or the Newcastle County people. And so Mason Dixon came and they measured the arc with a 12 mile radius from a specific point in the Delaware River. And then they also measured the line, the Mason Dixon line. And so the issue was the Mason Dixon line was supposed to hit the straight north south edge of Delaware at the exact same point that the arc was tangent. That's so much math. It's a lot of math. <laughs> and I gotta be honest with you, look, my geometry is not great. But you, you guys know, right? Delaware doesn't. Right? The arc does not meet the Mason-Dixon line at the exact point that it meets the north-south boundary. And so, basically what happened is that they, they messed up, kind of like the best of us. Um, but this is sort of an ongoing issue because now, right, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Delaware are all kind of figuring out who owns that little piece, the little triangular wedge, where the arc would actually come down and hit the north-south line but we're not yet up to the Mason-Dixon line. And it's about a one square mile little wedge. And so it became known as the wedge. So something that I've, I've always sort of been curious about, and I think it's probably a stupid question, but like, is the wedge salad at all related to the wedge? Because I feel like a lot of local restaurants try to put it on the menu to like the Delaware clever. wedge salad. Yeah. yeah. It's very punny. Um, I, I don't think so. I always assumed a wedge salad was because you have a wedge of a head of lettuce. Yes. But it's very punny and it's, and it's, you know, it's great, great menu item to have. But the, the thing about the wedge that's really interesting, right? So obviously you're like, oh, ha ha ha, there's like math, geometry, and that's a part of history. But what's really interesting is that no, none of the three states claimed the wedge. And so outlaws from all three states would go and move to the wedge and live there. And they had a community there to avoid being arrested in any of the three oh states. Oh my God, that's great. So they were outside of all jurisdiction. So I just want to let you know that I just looked it up and similar to that, uh, unlike the Waldorf or the Caesar salad, no restaurant has claimed to have invented the wedge salad. Just oh. like no state is claiming the wedge like area. I know. And it actually, like this, this sort of went on for, I mean, I would say in the 1920s. Yeah. I mean, it was the 1920s. So which in, is more recent than I thought. I'm checking my facts here. So in 1763 is when the legal battle began. And we didn't settle this until 19, officially 1921, when Delaware and the Congress ratified 
the decision that the wedge was officially a part of Delaware and that Pennsylvania and Maryland would have no claim to the wedge, which is now a part of Newark. I love it. And I love, like, I know that it is sort of, well, more than sort of annoying. Um, I have met people who say, like, my house is in Delaware, but my garage is in Maryland. And I understand that's probably incredibly annoying, but I love it. I think it's great. You know, it's it's so fun being part of such a small state and, and really um, the chance to be a part of a community of many states together is something that not everybody has the chance to experience. So we've talked a lot about places in Delaware um, and we've enjoyed having Jen on here, but one of the items on her resume that we haven't brought up yet is that she has a very special connection to um, a certain place and Delaware itself. Yeah, so... Um, Everyone knows I love to wear tiaras, but I've never earned one. So Jen, tell us tell us about your your tiara journey. <laughs> so um, it started with one of my best friends, uh, Becca Jackson, um, who was Miss Delaware 2013, um, trying to talk me into competing in a local pageant. And for a while, I had told her, absolutely not. Um, that's not my scene. You know, you do you, but I'm not interested. So she began warming me up to the idea more and more and more. And eventually in January of 2015, I entered a local, uh, Miss Hokesson. And the original thought was, you know, like if I do this and I hate it, I never have to do it again. But I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and I didn't think I would. Um, so I ended up winning the title of Miss Hokesson and going on to the state pageant in 2015. Um, so, because the reason that I entered when I did was because at the time, the age limit was 24, or you had, you could not have exceeded the age of 24 during the calendar year that you were competing. So, in 2015, in March, I turned 24, so that was last year I could compete, and I didn't want to be like, well, I wish I would have given it a shot when I could, and I'm glad I did. So, uh... So, yeah, yeah. so tell us what that's like. So, you... You compete, right? Mm -hmm. So you do, so, and it, now they've replaced, there's no bathing suit competition, but you had to do right. like the whole, the bathing suit, the evening gown, yeah. the interview, the talent. Right. Did I get everything? Yes. Um, so it was interview, and I'm just, I'm just recapping for myself. Interview, evening wear, talent, on stage question, swimsuit, well, which they call lifestyle and fitness. Um, so since then, Miss America has kind of, retooled the phases of competition and I'm not sure exactly yet how that is going to go over at the state level because there's been a lot of backlash in terms of that and you know I'm not exactly sure where the organization is going to go right now but right now it's kind of in limbo but when I competed it was the traditional kind of phases of competition that you've seen since 1921 um, because, you know, I competed in the Miss America system, not the Miss USA or uh, Miss United States system. So the, the first one that uh, started Atlantic City actually is a tourism gimmick, um, but had since evolved into this scholarship organization um, that is uh, not something that, you know, probably high school Jen would have thought she would have done, but I found incredibly empowering and an incredible experience. What was it about um, you in the initial competition that you think um, like made you stand out and advance? You know, um, I think that every contestant there had a lot to offer. 
and I think that it was a very tough decision on behalf of the judges. I couldn't tell you what made me stand out. I think that I just kind of went in with this kind of fearlessness that I was not, I didn't have any expectations. Mm -hmm. That I went in thinking, you know what, if I win first runner up, I get a free facial and that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I just was there to have fun. So you were there for the experience. Yeah, I was not there. I was, it was very low pressure for me because I was like, I could win, I could lose. This is just something fun to do over winter session when I'm not really doing anything else. Do you think, like, was that an attitude that you learned through that? Or, like, is there a lesson from that experience that, like, now you, you apply that to, like, your, your regular life? You know, it's funny because, actually, um, just in my life when I have kind of gone into something with no expectations whatsoever, just mm -hmm. to be like, this is for an experience and this is for myself, and the outcome doesn't matter so much as the experience. I've had better outcomes than when I really attached kind of a, a desire for a certain outcome. Mm -hmm. So that was even my audition at the University of Delaware. Going back to that, you know, bring everything full circle. So when I auditioned at UD back in 2008, it was my first college audition. And because I had felt that, oh, it's my first, and if I totally blow it, then it's okay, um, I didn't realize how competitive the program was. Um, and I think because I was so relaxed and so like, I'm just going to go in and do the best I can do, um, that I had the best outcome mm -hmm. possible. And that was the same thing with Miss Hokesson. Yeah. So what did it mean for you to be representing Delaware? And like, what was, like, what kind of like face did you want to put out there for, um, like Hokesson specifically? And then like just, you know, sharing your, your passion for Delaware. So I, um, you know, I wanted to show, uh, the the community when I was uh, when I was a title holder that uh, women of all different backgrounds and all different stripes could be a you know a quote-unquote pageant queen and I I wanted to um, my platform was anti-bullying so I think that that was the the the, big, the greatest message that I wanted to convey well, I love that it was anti-bullying just because of your role as an educator. Yes. Especially, like, in the high school space and, you know, um, we're, we're in a time in the U.S. where, like, the cyberbullying has come up so yes. quickly. And, and girls in particular, I, I think when you picture a bully, you're picturing, like, a guy who's oh, yeah. beating up, beating mm -hmm. up, like, the scrawny, mm -hmm. nerdy kid. But I think that's so un untrue in today's world. I mm -hmm. think the girls can, can especially, like you know, get really into that, that bullying yes. space. Yeah. And actually my, my platform was be an upstander, not a bystander. Mm -hmm. And so I love that. Yeah. That's so great. The bystander effect is so real. Yeah. And, I and was so. really inspired by, um, the story of Tyra Clementi, who was mm -hmm. a freshman at Rutgers university who, um, died by suicide after being bullied for being gay. And I actually discussed that in my platform statement um, as I felt that it was really important that, you know, as a, as a, uh, you know, a very public figure in a very almost, I would say a traditional kind of place um, that I brought to light these issues that aren't as, weren't, I felt weren't being talked about in that venue mm -hmm. at that time. Um, so it really gave me a to say the word platform again, a platform to, to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm very great. I was very grateful and I'm still very grateful for that opportunity. Um, because for me, it wasn't about, um, you know, the glitz and the glamour or whatever. That was definitely like having the crown and sash was fun. But, um, for me in the end, I felt what probably made me stand out as a contestant was my commitment to my platform. So even though now you've lived in Delaware for a few years and you've been able to represent Delaware in this really unique way, is there anything that you feel like you still like have yet to learn or are looking forward to experiencing as a Delawarean? I'm looking forward to advancing my professional career in Delaware. So what I'm looking to do in terms of um, you know the next 10 years of my life um, is I'm looking to be in curriculum development. Mm-hmm. And I feel that um, you know there's a lot that can be done um, in terms of the social studies curriculum in Delaware to make it more diverse and more representative of, um, you know, the people that live in our state. And um, I want to eventually be at the district or the state level um, in that kind of uh, role. So I would like to, you know, advance my career here. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, you mentioned that, like, some of the things that you've talked about, uh, including, like, pageantry there are ways for people to to get involved um yeah or so if if anyone's listening and they they're curious what should they do yeah so actually uh the local season for miss delaware 2019 um starts very soon so the first local pageants are coming up uh, miss diamond state and miss newcastle county um the paperwork for that if you are interested in um being a contestant um is at that all that is due october 26th uh, for the pageant on November 3rd. So um, there's a teen and a Miss division. Um, you can check out uh, MissDE.org for all that information. And I highly recommend that any uh, young women listening in um, consider that opportunity if that's something that you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. Wow. We've had so much to talk about, and I feel like we've only scratched the surface. We really have. I Dara said that I, I had told her Jen would be such a great guest, <laughs> and I stand by that because we actually have like a couple of other things with Jen that we so wanted to talk about, but um, not only are we out of time, but this is definitely our longest-running podcast thus far. I hope everyone's still listening. I hope so, too. I think we've touched on a lot of really different topics. Um, and so I just, I just want to point out how that goes to show that, um, you know, everybody in Delaware, everyone in your local community is, has, has a story to tell yeah. and sometimes they have more than one, right? So Jen tells a story of many different aspects of her life and, um, we were just so lucky to have her come and, and share all of that with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Bye guys. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Della Darling podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Della Darling Pod on Instagram and Twitter and The Della Darling on Facebook.